join in prayer once again to seek the Lord for his blessing on the preaching and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we trust in your word. We confess, O Lord, that we believe that your word is truth. We ask then that you would sanctify us now in this truth. We believe it to be absolute truth. We believe that every part of your word uh, is necessary for us. Otherwise, you wouldn't have in your providence given it to us in the canon of Scripture. So we pray as we come to this portion of your word in the book of Revelation, that you would grant us insight and understanding through the help and illumination of the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The Christian in this life is always at war. Not only is the believer engaged in a holy war against the world's temptation and the remnant of sin that continually plagues him or plagues her, but also in a holy war against Satan. That's because when believers put their faith in Jesus Christ, they, uh, in union with him, become a part of the body of Christ, which is the church militant, as opposed to the church triumphant, those believers who have already gone on to uh, their eternal rest. This is a, a fierce battle. But thanks be to God, we already know the outcome. There's a, there are wars raging in, in, on this earth, and we don't yet know the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen in uh, the war in Ukraine. But we know already the, the end from the beginning uh, of this war, because it's already been decided. It was decided when, when Christ defeated sin and death, and Satan, through his work on the cross, his resurrection, his exaltation. And thank God that Satan is only a fallen angel and doesn't have God's power. Nevertheless, he is an angel, a fallen angel, albeit, but nevertheless an angel, and therefore he's much more powerful than we are, and much more powerful than the church is in its own strength. The believing church, even as we've read uh, this morning, as we peeked ahead uh, here in Revelation, can only gain the victory over Satan through Christ and his blood. The believing church will only be victorious over Satan, over sin, and over death through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Revelation 12 is about. Part of my purpose in preaching through the book of Revelation is to to, uh, familiarize you with the symbols that we find in this complex book of symbols. I don't pretend to understand all of them perfectly myself, and I don't pretend that after I preach through this book, you'll understand all these symbols. But Nevertheless, what I want to do in preaching through this book is is demystify the book of Revelation a bit for you, Lord willing, and also apply it, because this is is a practical book, uh, as I hope uh, you'll agree after this sermon this morning. Chapters 12 through 14 in in Revelation here begin a, a fourth cycle of visions that follow the cycle of uh, the trumpet visions in chapters 8 through 11 and and precede the vision uh, of the seven bulls of wrath in chapters 15 and 16. The end of chapter 11 marks the halfway point 
of the book of Revelation, not only numerically, but in terms of the message of this book of the apocalypse or the book of uh, Revelation. It's often, therefore, been identified as uh, this passage, this 12th chapter, has often been identified as the key to, to the whole book by uh, various uh, scholars, various commentators. Chapters 1 through 11 deal with Christ's victory over his enemies, culminating in the glorious establishment of the church as his holy temple. That's what we're to see here in chapter 11 and verse 19 that we read. We're not to picture here a, a physical temple in heaven. We're not to picture, uh, picture the, that the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant is lost. It's, 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 uh, it's no more. Uh, and uh, God isn't reconstructing a tabernacle to put in, physically put in heaven. No, that's, uh, that, the temple and the tabernacle is a picture of the church uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, ho- I hope we'll see that uh, more clearly as we, as we move on through uh, our exposition here today. Chapters 12 through 22... The second half of the book deal with the church's victory over her enemies, ending with her glorious establishment as the temple of God, God's holy temple, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, 22. And so the second half of the book covers the same material as the first half of the book. Much of the same ground, but uh, from a different perspective. And therefore, although although there's going to be, we're going to see, as we move on through the rest of the book, we're going to see uh, progression and development toward the climax in the second half. We're going to see both a repetition uh, of familiar concepts we've already dealt with in chapters 1 through 11, as well as a diversity in portraying these things in the rest of the book of Revelation. For example, the red dragon here in chapter 12 and verse 3 is to be identified with the angel of the, the abyss in chapter 9 and verse 11, the devil himself. The 144,000 of the 12 tribes of, of Israel uh, on Mount Zion, chapter 14 and uh, verse 1, are the same as the 144,000 sealed elect of Israel in chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. The seven bowls of wrath in chapters 15 and 16 that we're going to eventually come to are... Uh, they correspond with the seven trumpets, even as the seven trumpets corresponded with the seven seals uh, that we had dealt with earlier in Revelation. Babylon the Great, chapter 14 and verse 8, is the same uh, as the great city where the Lord was crucified, chapter 11 and verse 8, that is Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem, chapter 21 and verse 1, is filled with the glory of God. Chapter 21, verse 11, and the Lamb, chapter 21, verse 23. That's just another symbol of the temple of God that is in heaven, the church that we read about, we dealt with last Lord's Day in chapter 11. And verse 19, all of this elaborate recapitulation or or repetition follows a pattern established by the biblical prophets. In fact, the passage that we read in Genesis Genesis 37, the two dreams that Joseph had, what were they? They were simply a repetition of one another. Two dreams, but covering the same Detail. We see this as well uh, in Daniel's vision of the four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to say more about that 
a particular vision later, but this is just another presentation of the four kingdoms symbolized in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. Revelation chapters 1 through 11 gives us a picture of the church persecuted by the world. Its trials and tribulations are depicted by the seven seals and the seven trumpets. But Revelation chapter 12 to 22 tells us us what's going on behind the scenes of this great conflict between the church and the world and the prince of this world, the devil himself. Nothing less than a war in heaven. Vision, this vision of, of chapter 12 is, is uh, therefore something of a new beginning in John's revelation. And to show the conflict between Satan and the church, the vision takes John back to the beginning, to the birth of Christ and to Satan's unsuccessful attempts to destroy him, ending with Christ's victorious ascent into heaven. The struggle will be fierce and bloody, but as we've said, Satan is already doomed. Because Christ is reigning from his heavenly throne. And his people are destined for complete victory because of the work of Christ. That's the the message here in chapter 12. Satan is doomed because Christ is reigning in heaven. And his people are destined for complete victory because of the work of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, There are three main characters here in Revelation 12. The woman, the dragon, and the child. And we must understand these characters, uh, what these characters represent, who who they represent, in order to understand the vision. So that's what we're going to be dealing with this morning. Uh, The woman with child, the great red dragon, and the male child. First then, uh, the woman with child. Verse 1 alerts us from of the outset, that we, we need to, to give careful attention to the content of this vision, identifying the symbol of the woman as a great sign. The entire book of Revelation is composed of signs, but this is the only sign that's said to be a great sign, and that's one of the reasons why many think that this is a key to understanding the book of Revelation, what's going on here, uh, the central message of Revelation, this great sign of uh, the woman here in chapter 12 and verse 1. This is an important and central symbol to the interpretation of the prophecy. That's what, that's what we're being told here as, as this woman appears as, uh, in John's word, a great sign in, his, in the way he's describing Uh, this vision. In recounting the vision, the Holy Spirit is is telling uh, his first century readers, he's telling uh, readers of all generations in the church that we we need to think carefully about the biblical meaning of this great sign. And it's a complex sign uh, as we're going to see as we, as we work through this first character, uh, the woman with child. It's quite a complex sign. The woman, in the first place, uh, the first thing we, we want to say is that she is a picture of Messiah's mother. She's not the Virgin Mary, as uh, Roman Catholic commentators have spent a lot of time and a lot of pages in their commentaries trying to convince us of. Uh, But she is Messiah's mother. For her child, we read here in verse 5, is to rule with a rod of iron. Rule the nations with a rod of iron. 
You will recognize that, I hope, as, a, as taken from Psalm 2, uh, the Lord's anointed uh, in Hebrew, Messiah, the Lord's Messiah, Psalm 2, verse 2, recounts God's decree in that second psalm, appointing him as, as universal king. You are my son, God says to his Messiah. Today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. You shall break them with a rod of iron. So the woman is Messiah's mother. But before she's portrayed as Messiah's mother in verse 5, as the Davidic uh, Messiah in verse 5, however, the woman is pictured as Mother Israel. This is implied through the symbolism of verse 1 here. She is a woman clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. The 12 stars identify her as God's covenant people who have appeared as Israel's 12 tribes already here in the book of Revelation and will appear as the heavenly city slash bride founded on the 12 apostles, Revelation 21.14, entering through gates bearing the names of the 12 tribes, Revelation 21, verse 12. God's covenant people of old appeared in Jacob's dream that we read about this morning. In Genesis 37, verse 9, as son, father Jacob, moon, mother Rachel, and the 11 stars, Joseph's brothers, bowing to Joseph, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, through whose suffering and ruling their lives would be preserved. So the woman is Israel, the people of God, the old covenant church under the law, waiting for the birth of Messiah. But ultimately, we, we might say, she's the mother of the promised seed, the mother of the Davidic Messiah who would slay the serpent. The conflict between the mother and the dragon is, is far older than the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, uh, the woman's enemy, spoken of here in Revelation, the great red dragon, in verse 3, is then identified as the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, in verse 9. When he can't destroy the royal child, he wages war against the rest of her children, her Seed in the Greek here in verse 17. We didn't read that. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children or the rest of her seed. Now that's important because in the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament in Septuagint, as we come to that great prophecy in Genesis 3, verse 15, what's called the, the Proto-Evangelion, the first announcement of the gospel, the curse that God uh, gives there is, 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 speaks of the seed. Speaks of, of the seed. I, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between, he's speaking to Satan here, He's speaking to the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. That's the same word that we find here in the Greek in Revelation 12, 17. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is an announcement. This is a proclamation, the very first proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Scriptures. 
And yet while these allusions here in chapter 12 show that the woman represents the old covenant church and Messiah's uh, mother, the, the mother of the Davidic Messiah, becomes clear that she's not only the church of the Old Testament waiting to give birth to Messiah, but also the church of the New Testament. This is apparent especially in uh, verses 11 and 17. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Who's he speaking of here? speaking of the New Covenant church. Because of uh, the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when they faced death. And again, here in verse 17, of the rest of her children, the rest of her seed, who keep the commandments of God, present tense, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So it's quite complex, isn't it? This great sign that appears of the woman with child. Verses 13 to 17 here in Revelation, speaking of recapitulation, speaking of a repetition, a revelations, a repetition, uh, verses 13 through 17 here in chapter 12 simply repeat uh, from a different perspective the birth of the child and the woman's flight into the wilderness in order to escape the devil. But Satan, uh, having been frustrated by his efforts to devour the child, persecutes the woman, persecutes the church. In other words, the devil refocuses on the destruction of the New Testament church in verses 13 through 17. And that means he's, that tells us something about what he has his attention focused on now. He has attention, his attention is focused on destroying the church now, as, it, as his, his intentions were then, destroying the members of the body of Christ, destroying you and me in any way that he can. And it tells us, too, this, this fact that as we read chapter 12, that the woman represents the New Covenant Church as well, the New Testament Church. It tells us that the vision is focused here on first century Christians who are undergoing intense persecution. Jesus calls it in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, he calls it the Great Tribulation. That's what's going on as this vision is being revealed to the Apostle John. They are enduring one conflict after another. And it assures the first century church, just as it assures you and me, that though the dragon is pursuing us, Pursuing the church today, as it pursued the first century church, God will provide for them, and God will care for them. Verse 14 here in chapter 12, but the, the two wings of, of the great eagle, two wings of the, of the great eagle were, were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to a place where she was nourished for time and times. And half a time from the presence of the serpent. Just as we read here in our text this morning in verse 6, that the woman fled into the wilderness so that she would be there nourished by God for 1,260 days. God's protection of his people in the midst of Tribulation, even 
even in, in the context of this vision here in chapter 12. And so the woman represents God's people of all ages. She's the embodiment of God's covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the embodiment of, of the promise of Abraham and to his seed. That out of, out of Abraham's descendants would come a Messiah who would bring blessing to all nations. She represents us. And no wonder this is called a great sign, given its complexity. Secondly, the red dragon. Verse 3 describes Satan as a, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns upon his head. Now John is speaking symbolically here, not literally. We're not to, to think, uh, therefore, that a literal dragon is going to, is going to arise at, at some point in the future uh, that's, that, that will have seven heads and ten horns. Uh, the symbol here, the symbology here in, in the description of the red dragon represent his diabolical wisdom, the, the seven heads. Uh, Satan, is, Satan has uh, intelligence about him. But it's not the kind of wisdom that we, it's not biblical wisdom, of course, although he knows the Bible. He can quote the Bible better than you and I can quote the Bible. It's a diabolical wisdom. It's an evil wisdom. It's an evil that uh, it's 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 a, a an evil that employs wisdom to carry out its diabolical function. That's what these seven heads uh, represent. Uh, the, the ten horns represent his great power. Remember, horn in, in, in the uh, the Old Testament scriptures is a, is a symbol of power. It shows that that Satan is powerful. We're also uh, in, in the seven diadems or uh, the seven crowns. We see his authority to influence others. Satan has authority. He has power. He has authority. Now, granted, that authority is only given to him by God, but nevertheless, he has power and authority in God's decree to influence others. And so John says in his first epistle, 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the power of this seven-headed red dragon. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks as, as, of the devil as the prince of this world, John 12, verse 31. Satan's power is also emphasized here in verse 4 where we read that his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and, and threw them down to the earth. We're not to picture here at some point in history the devil uh, with a tail sweeping stars out of heaven. This, what, what, what does this symbolize? Well, the, the stars that are pulled down from heaven represent the angels who join Satan in his rebellion. At some point in history, Satan rebelled. Some, at some point between uh, uh, after creation and before the fall of man, Satan rebelled and, and, and other angels rebelled with him. But notice that while Satan is powerful, his power is limited in that only a third of the stars, a third of those angels, again, uh, not a literal number, but a symbolic number, uh, a symbolic fraction, I guess I should say. Uh, One-third of the stars are, are swept down, and that means that a large number of the stars remain true to God, who didn't rebel, didn't side with Satan, 
but were pure and obedient to God. So there was rebellion in heaven, and Satan persuaded a third of the angels to rise up with him against God and make a bid for power. The fall of Satan is the backdrop of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. The tragedy of of the human situation, the tragedy of my situation and your situation as human beings is that Satan and his minions... The devils have been thrown down out of heaven, cast down to earth, and are presently granted limited authority, limited opportunity to instigate instigate rebellion among mankind, Christians included. Satan's rebellion is behind Adam and Eve's rebellion in heaven. And that rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden um, is connected with us, of course. People are, are mystified by the way the Bible explains our connection to this first man, Adam. How can I have any responsibility, how can I have any involvement with the sin of Adam? How is it that Adam's sin is imputed to me? I wasn't there. I didn't rebel against God in the garden. Well, you would have in the first place. But what, we, what, we're, what we're seeing here is uh, that man's fall in the garden had, had a broad scope. Original sin, it is called. All mankind descending from Adam sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. And people are Christians, are not only mystified by that, but they deny it, some of them. What they ask is so terrible about Adam's eating of a piece of forbidden fruit so that it has affected the entire human race since. The answer is that the sin of Adam and Eve made them and us In Adam, Satan's accomplices. We are guilty of aiding and abetting his attempt to dethrone God. That's the enormity of our sin. Seeing that the woman is in labor, uh, we read here in verse 4, the devil takes his stand in front of her, waiting her to deliver this child so that he can devour the child. That's the kind of hatred that the devil has for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of hatred that is deflected in your life and in my life. And it's no wonder that we can sometimes sense the attacks of Satan on the church and even on us in individually if, we're, if we have some spiritual wits about us. The dragon's strength, his, his intelligence, his fierceness seem to make him an overpowering adversary to the woman and to her newborn son. And yet the dragon's lethal plot is instantly doomed with the appearance of 
the third main character here in Revelation chapter 12, the male child. We're told in verse 5 uh, that the woman here representing the Old Testament church, the woman uh, representing the mother of the Davidic Messiah, labors until she delivers a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. We've already noted that this is a quote from Psalm 2, a messianic psalm that refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, uh, the, the child is caught up to God and to his throne. This succinct statement, caught up to God and to his throne, encapsulates the life, the suffering, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, which are summed up in his ascension. It's quite interesting. He was born, we read here, and then he was caught up to God and to his throne. He shares the throne of God's infinite authority in heaven. We've already seen this uh, in some sense here in the the letter to uh, Laodicea. Chapter 3 and verse 12, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And by the way, that's another one of the symbols that we have there in the woman. Uh, she is, uh, the, 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 the crowns on her head should be interpreted in terms of revelation. And in revelation, Uh, God's people are shown to reign with Christ. They are reigning with Christ. And so um, so this this wondrous revelation here tells us that that, uh, that as as Christ is caught up to the throne of God and and is now reigning, we as his people are, are reigning with him. But the plot to destroy uh, the Messiah, we've already said, is, was, was thwarted. And so the dragon turns in rage on Messiah's mother, on the church. The, his aggressive hostility toward the church is, is implied when we read here in verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be there, uh, she'd be nourished there for 1,260 days. Now there's that, uh, here we go again with numbers in, in Revelation, 1,260 days. In Revelation 11 through 13, chapters 11 through 13, the, the, the time frame that's now associated in 12 verse 6 with the woman's wilderness retreat is measured in three distinct but synonymous ways. 42 months, chapter 11, verse 2, chapter 13, verse 5, 1260 days, chapter 11, verse 3, and here in 12, verse 6, or a time, a times, and half a time. Verse 12, pardon me, verse 12, chapter 12 rather, and verse 14. The repetition of these measurements, these time measurements, they're all the equivalent of three and a half years. They help us to recognize that the same period of time is being symbolized by the 42 months, the 1260 days, a time, a times, and time, uh, and a half a time. This additional time and, and times in a, uh, and uh, time and times and half a time is an explicit allusion to the period of the saints' persecution under the fourth beast in Daniel chapter seven and verse twenty-five. The four beasts there in Daniel represent four nations. 
They represent uh, the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's interesting, isn't it? So what's being referred to there with regard to the fourth beast, a time and times and half a time, has to do with the fourth beast, which is the nation of Rome. At the time that John is receiving this revelation, God's people in the Holy Land, in Palestine, are being persecuted by the nation of Rome. The fourth beast of Daniel 7.25, which we said is synonymous with the fourth kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2 and verse 40. We saw in Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3, that this time period, 42 months or three and a half years, is characterized by the persecution of the church, the holy city, that is Jerusalem, by its enemies, but also protection of the church, because remember, John in that vision is told to measure the temple and those who are worshiping in it. The temple is the church, symbolically, even back in those first verses of Revelation 1, and of course the people worshiping in it are God's people. So that's a symbol of God protecting. Measuring the church is a symbol of God protecting the church, even as he's protecting the woman, the church, here in Revelation chapter 12. So now in the vision of the woman and the male child, the woman symbolizing the church is persecuted by the dragon, chapter 12, verse 6. So she flees into the wilderness for 1,260 days or three and a half years and is nourished under God's protective hand. See how the repetition works here. So when you're reading through Revelation, when you read, if you're reading through McShane's calendar this year, uh, and reading through your Bible, Uh, In December, if you're caught up with your reading, remember as you're reading through Revelation, pay attention to these symbols and try to and try to try to discover the the repetition in other parts of uh, the Book of Revelation, and it will do marvels in your understanding of this book that seems so mystical sometimes. To us. So, 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. As it turns out, the same time period, almost exactly from the declaration of war by Rome and the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Almost exactly. 42 months, or three and a half years. All of this helps us to better understand why this vision focuses on Christ's ascension, his being caught up to the throne of God. Verse 5, it's because John's purpose is to show first century Christians that though Christ is absent, the Spirit of Christ, who ascended upon them, ascended upon the church at Pentecost, is yet present with them to nourish them in their wilderness, the great tribulation of that first century. With all this in mind, peek ahead with me in verses 9 through 12 at the encouragement that this passage gives to the church. Revelation continues to offer the post-ascension church of our era with the same encouragement that 
that with which the first century church uh, rejoiced as the male child, uh, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who brings salvation and strength to believers, is taken up into heaven. The dragon, verse 9, is cast down. Verse 9 identifies the dragon as the, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. But in chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, note the, uh, the repetition of the language, is bound for a thousand years and thrown into the abyss, which is shut up and sealed, so that, Revelation 20 goes on, he would no longer deceive the nations. Here in Revelation 12, he's called, he, it's, it's said of him that he deceives the nations, but, but in Revelation 20, this binding of Satan, this, this throwing down, casting down out of heaven, we're told in Revelation 20, means that he can no longer deceive the nations. And that means uh, that uh, you and I can be sure that Satan today is on a short chain. He's only permitted to do what God has decreed that he may do. He's still bound. He's still carrying his ball and chain with him, just like he did uh, all the way back to uh, one of the oldest books in the Bible and the oldest characters in the Bible, uh, namely Job. Still must come to God and, and request his permission to do whatever he does. The devil is still the accuser of the brethren. He accuses them before God day and night. That's what verse 10 here says in chapter 12. But in the church's ongoing experience of suffering and persecution and alienation in the wilderness of this world, she continues to receive nourishment and protection from God. Verse 11 says here in our text, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. This brings, us, uh, brings to mind two specific points of application for every Christian. In the first place, prayer for the persecuted church. We must be praying for our brethren. When I hear reports of, of Christians being persecuted in China, uh, in the Middle East, in Africa, uh, wherever, wherever that persecution takes place, it breaks my heart. It ought to break our hearts that our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, are, are being oppressed by Governments are, 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 uh, are, are being uh, oppressed in ways that we can't even really get our heads around because we've never experienced that here in the United States. But we might. And I hope that, I hope and pray that if we ever are, that my brothers and sisters in other nations will be praying me. So you ought to be praying on a regular basis for the persecuted church. But then secondly, praise. Praise to our great God and his Christ. Rejoice, verse 12 here in Revelation 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, go to the earth and see, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. Why is it praiseworthy that, uh, that the devil is still around? Because he's chained, and he knows he only has a short time to do what he wants to do in his hatred against Christ as it's deflected against believers and the church. That's why it ought to be. Uh, an encouragement to us. From the time of Christ's ascension, 
which began his thousand-year reign, which began the millennium until the time that he returns on the last day. God will nourish and preserve his church that they might continue to give bold testimony even in times of bitter trial and persecution. Victorious over all who stand in opposition to their faith. Overcoming because of the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess our, uh, the tininess of our minds and the difficulty that we have uh, wrestling with these symbols in the book of Revelation, but we pray uh, that you help us to take this book seriously, and especially in our Christian experience, uh, that you intend this book to be experiential for us, a book that, that meets us where we live and move and, and have our being. And we ask, O oh God, uh, that you would continue to help us in our understanding. We know that we don't understand your word apart from the Spirit's help. And so we pray uh, as we continue uh, that you give us the Spirit's help in, in understanding uh, this sometimes difficult to understand book. And we ask, O oh God, that you would help us to pray faithfully for our brethren. who are living in persecuted nations, that you might deliver them. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us to rejoice, to give thanks to you, to bless your great name for Satan's limited power and to give thanks to you, O oh Lord, that through Christ, the devil has been cast down to the earth and that through Christ we overcome Satan and all of our enemies and yours because of the blood of the Lamb. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.